Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we're talking about strategic planning, efficient, effective, or neither. Welcome, Ed. Hey, Ron, how you doing? I am great. I'm really looking to the, uh, forward to this show. And I, again, we uh, have to give a shout out to Mark Gandy, one of our listeners who wrote us a while back in October, I believe, and suggested that we do a show on strategic planning. Now, Mark, I don't know if we're going to hit all of the points that you made that you wanted us to cover, but um, just fortuitously, Ed, you recently posted something on your LinkedIn account, and of course, we will uh, post it up on our show notes. Uh, I thought it was a great post, by the way, and it's called Five Counterintuitive Truths About Strategic Planning. And so I kind of wanted to ask you some questions about that and go through it with you. All right, you're going to interview me. That's kind of the deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah why not? You're, you're, okay, so you're keep guests to get on. <laughs> okay, yeah, exactly. And keep 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 in mind, I've spent most of today at the at the Marion PT Marion Elementary School with my son. It was I was the watchdog today. Dads of great students is the program kind. Of, I think I mentioned it last year at this time because I had a similar thing. So. Yeah, my mind is on handing out sporks to fourth graders, but it's it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Ed, around the strategic planning, yeah, or yeah. maybe just planning, you know, it's often been called future thinking or trying to control the future. Um, I think it's really interesting, by the way, shout out to your dad. Planning comes from the Latin planum, meaning uh-huh. flat sur- meaning flat surface. Right. The word didn't Engli- enter the English language until the 17th century, where it referred to principally to forms such as maps and blueprints drawn on <laughs> flat surfaces. Flat surfaces, yeah. Uh, so, um, I think there's a lot of myths about planning, and uh, a lot, of, you know, who knows if it's if it's uh, implemented correctly. Uh, I think it's this is one of those topics. I think I think it's very similar to is the idea more valuable than its execution? Um, but you lay out so, and we'll talk about that because I want to bring in a yeah. book that, that I read on this by a guy named Henry Mintzberg called "The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning," which is just brilliant. I mean, this book was written in '94, so what? It's 22 years old, and I think it's just as relevant today as it was then. That's how timeless it is. It's just wow, one good. of those business books cool. that's timeless. So, but on your five counterintuitive truths, 
let's just dive in. Well, first off, what made you write this? Well, I am doing a series of webcasts for the Sage team, actually specifically the Sage 50C team. And they had asked me to do uh, some webcasts, and I, I, I put a, a set of three together. The first one was delivered almost a month ago, and that was on creating shared vision in a small firm or a small business, I think it was officially titled. And so I, I actually want to say that that is really the presupposition that I have even going into a, a conversation about strategy is that one has a shared vision that has been articulated and at least disseminated somewhat into the organization. I think this, it's, it's critically important that you put vision first before strategy. I think it, people, a lot of people make a mistake of, of going to strategy before their vision is, is clearly articulated, and that's a big, a big mistake. And um, but by, by the way, the, the background on that, my thinking on that goes goes back to my work with my mentor, Howard Hansen, when I had my own firm, and he introduced me to a model called the 7S model, which was first posited, I think, by well, probably a lot of folks at McKinsey and Company, but articulated specifically in Tom Peters and Bob Waterman's classic book in search of excellence i think wasn't that the first best business seller best bestseller for business run like yeah i mean pretty much it, it started that whole genre i think yeah i mean before 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 that book there was maybe one shelf dedicated to your bookstore you know, yeah then, and it was full was, of drucker whole, right full of drucker and then there was a <laughs> then there was a, then there was a whole section on business and then a whole you know, big, big big stacks on business and of course we don't have bookstores anymore so that's really Kind of spun out of control. And interesting, interesting point of view. Anyway, the, so the 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 seven S model um, was put forward in the in the book in search of excellence. And what's interesting about it is that there was no precedence giving to any of the S's. Um, and uh, I probably, well, maybe I could name them off the top of my head. But it's it's um, shared vision, strategy, staff, skills, structure, style, and systems. Hey, I got them. And there was, but there was no precedence given to any of them. And we're all around like this center thing. They, the Peters and Waterman called it the happy atom. And Howard, in, in the work that he did with Great Plains, um, worked with a McKinsey consultant who changed the model a little bit and put shared vision and strategy and pulled them off to the left of the model. And the intention was that you then read the model from left to right. So you start with shared vision, then strategy, and then the third bubble – is staff. I don't like the word staff, but people begins with a P. So let's just go with it. And so we have staff and then hanging off of staff is the skills, structure, style, and systems. Again, that first bubble is shared vision. Um, interesting tidbit, by the way, Ron, that the, the McKinsey consultant who we believe made this modification to the 7S model is now the governor of North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so... Yeah, a guy, a guy by the name of Doug Burgum, who who uh, was the CEO of, of Great Plains for a long time. He actually bought into the company Great Plains, but he was he was the CEO and brought some of his McKenzie flair with him and made this 7S model pretty ubiquitous throughout the organization. So 
the first thing that happens is shared vision. We can talk that that's that's my first presupposition for even beginning strategic planning. And it is unfortunately one of the mistakes that people make is beginning strategic planning before they have a shared vision. Right. And would you equate that shared vision to Simon Sinek's why or purpose? It's very close. Um, I, I think there are some nuances to those, but yeah, I mean, I, I think when taken all together, that the, what, what is classically called the mission statement um, is an, an element or a cent- central purpose. Sometimes it's referred to as central purpose. That's what, what Jim Collins and his crew call it, mm-hmm. uh, or just purpose, right? right. That, that thing is probably closest to Simon Sinek's why. And it, 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 I think it's important because, and this leads back to the article, the first – the first point that I made in the article is that profit is not an adequate foundation for strategy and that purpose is, and that's what I was trying to articulate in that bullet point, that the first thing that we have to articulate is, is what is the purpose of the organization? And I, 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 and I know I've shared this story on the soul of enterprise before, but it's, it's a great one. It's well worth repeating. It's not really a story. It's a, it's a, it's an analogy that was, I, I learned from John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods in his book, Conscious Capitalism, where he talks about business being, or I'm sorry, profit in a business being the equivalent of red blood cells in the body, right? They're necessary conditions for survival. Without the replication of red blood cells, you die. In fact, it's one of the definitions of death, inability to produce red blood cells. But I don't know about you, Ron, but I don't I don't wake up in the morning going, hey, red blood cell production right. on, the, on <laughs> right. the list of things to do today. Right. So I don't think we do that, nor should a business or nor should people in business go to work thinking, hey, we're going to produce a profit today. Right. Because profit is the result, not the cause. And I think that's what Mackey articulately points out in this in this analogy that profits are, are like the red blood cells. They are a necessary condition for continued survival, but they are not they're not why you get up in the morning. Right. That makes total sense, and, and and we've talked a lot about that, and 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 what some famous entrepreneurs like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and Stanley Marcus said about with respect to profit, you know. So I think that that fits in beautiful. But just on that point, Ed, you you know your counterintuitive truth number one about profit is not an adequate foundation for strategy. I also think you know it also people tend to get very analytical. Uh, in in these meetings, and it seems like they're doing nothing more but budgeting, because we have data. Yep, yep. And you know who makes a great point on that, Ron? And I, I actually did incorporate that into my presentation, although it's not directly made in the uh, article. There is our our buddy Jules Goddard, right? Yeah. Um, and his 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 famous line about strategy being the rare and precious gift of staying one step ahead of being efficient. But he's got this great little graph in in his book, and I always say it wrong. But so it, uh, un, uncommon sense, common nonsense. Right? Did I get that right? I think that's the title of the book. I, I can never um, remember. <laughs> right. But he's got this great little graph, and what what it shows is it's it's a kind of the, there's the, the x axis is past and future. Right, the yep. x-axis is past and future, and then the the y-axis is um, uh, I I think of it. He says planning and competition, but I think of it as internal and external. Right, and what he, what he says, budgeting is a function of looking at the past and 
and any and internal mechanisms, right? So we look back at the past at our data, and we look at it's our data, right? And that's budgeting. That's what he calls budgeting. But strategy sits in the, the this other quadrant of being about the future and external, right? Yep. And 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 I think far too often people begin to talk about strategic planning and it you're right it ends up being no more than a budgeting exercise because they they they, they it's it's all internal they they're not thinking externally at all exactly yep that that's that's what I see quite a bit when you sit through some of these meetings or just even even some of the literature on it is <laughs> it, it 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 you know devolves into that as well um, well, we're probably not going to have time to cover this point, Ed, but your second counterintuitive truth is we do not want for answers. We suffer from an inability to ask new and better questions. Mm-hmm. And I think this yeah. was somewhat inspired by Eric Hoffer, wasn't it? It, it definitely was. And um, perhaps we should pick that up after our first break because it, it is pretty an, an in-depth and, and nuanced point. But we want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at TSO, ask TSOE at verisage.com. If you send an email to that address, it will go to both to myself and Ron. You can visit our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, and we've got some fun stuff up there. You can buy a copy of our book, but more importantly, get a link to all the of the show's archives across the top of the page. You'll be able to click on our show archive and see every show that we've done. I think, Ron, we're up to – this might be show 120, as I recall. So wow. we're, we're getting pretty pretty close, you know, the, getting up there. So we, But right now we want to hear from our sponsor, uh, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You 
are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are talking strategy here on The Soul of Enterprise today. You know, Ron, one of the the challenges that I see with strategy, especially as small business owners and entrepreneurs look at it, is that there's this really bad, I I think, meme that strategic planning is very mysterious and mystical. You know, it requires… black box. Right. It, re- it requires, you know, Jack Welsh and, and all of the powers that were a G to go some cra- place crazy like, you know, Reykjavik, Iceland, and s- sit around and talk, lock themselves in a mud cave for a while and until they burn the paper and white smoke comes out. And, you know, then, then we have strategy. But it's really not, it's really not that hard. Um, it's really just a, a, asking a, a specific set of questions. And, you were the one who actually introduced me to Eric Hoffer. So why don't you t- tell us a little bit about what you know about Eric Hoffer? Well, Eric Hoffer was just a, he was a longshoreman in San Francisco, but he was a self-taught philosopher. And I've read uh, quite, a, quite a number of his books, and I've also read a, a biography on him. And in his early years, nobody knows. Nobody knows where he came from. <laughs> the, the speculation is Germany, you know, might have had a past with, with, the Nazis, whatever. I mean, nobody really knows. But anyway, just a really super intelligent guy. And I thought just a fantastic writer. Um, but when I ran across that quote of his, and, and I think you paraphrase it or something, but, you know, the, the humanness came of age when man asked the first question. Right. <laughs> Boy, does that, because answers can be given by grunts and gestures, right? He's saying, but... Yep. You know, our, our lack of focus on questions is, is when society decays. And, and, I, and I think the same thing about whether it's value or strategy or whatever, just the ability to ask really good questions, as we talked about on multiple shows, um, you know, great questions is, is inspiring. And it easily rallies people. You want to answer a great question or dig deeper. Or, you know, it just, it's, a, it's a great motivator to action. And that's that's what I love about this point here, that it, it's not about answers, it's about questions. Yep. And, and, and then that leads to the third point, which is what I call the mother of all strategic questions, or the MOASC. Um, I, I think I've talked a little bit about this on a couple of previous shows, probably the, 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 the show on questions as well. But what... I think is most intriguing is that I still, to this day, all of the the strategic planning literature that I've encountered, and whether this is balanced scorecard or even some of the Lean Six Sigma guys, but all of these these different strategy plans that are out there, I think they ask the wrong opening question because their first question is usually some derivative of how much revenue do we need to produce in the given strategic period? Yeah. Right. And then everything else follows from that. The problem is, is that, that that question then focuses the organization internally. Like, how are we going to produce that revenue? How many leads do we need? How many customers do we have to have, right? So it, it focuses the, the remainder of the conversation then, then, then looks internally. And I think um, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily internally. And I th- but I think the, be- the better question to ask came to me a number of years ago when – I guess I was just thinking this through, and I said the real the, the real mother of all strategic questions is 
how much value are we going to create for our future customers in some given period, you know, two years, three years, five years, and how are we going to do that? Because that question focuses, at least initially, on external, right? On, yeah. on outside the organization. And it's not, it, we're not talking about um, the, the stuff that we can do and how many customers do we need. We're talking about how do we create value. Right. Yep. No, it's a great point. I, I love that. I love that Moask. And yeah, then your and fourth. I, and I, think, I think it ties in quickly. It also ties into the value gap analysis that we've talked about on a number of shows too, because that, that is in, in essence, it's the value gap on steroids, right? Exactly. Exactly. I just, you know, I think about the whole, what's the lifetime value of a customer, right? And, and turning that around and asking, what is the lifetime value of your, of your organization to your customer? Right. I think that's a that's a much more broad, expansive way to look at it, and I, I gotta believe companies like Intel or Apple try and do that. You know how much, uh, what other areas could we add value to people's lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they've got to. They've absolutely got to. So, and so your fourth point, Ed, is strategic planning is more creative than analytical. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think th- th- this one probably gets a little bit of you know people shaking their heads at me because uh, w- especially if I'm talking to a group of accountants, boy, do they they want to analyze, Ron, right? Oh, they, you they know, want they, data. They, they, yep, and they want data, and they want the they want the and I, I I got this analogy I think from you. They want the paint by number strategic plan. Yep. Right. You know, show me a picture of the Mona Lisa in paint by number, and I'll copy it <laughs> because that's proven. It's proven, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that of course, false we, sense of security or false sense of precision with data, right? right. Whether it's scientism or whatever we want to call it, but you know, pseudo scientific knowledge. I think sometimes that's more dangerous than just plain ignorance or common mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> right. Oh, I'd rather I, have I common sense. Right. Right. Common sense. And that's well. That's that's Goddard's point too. And. The, the 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 challenge with data as we've talked about especially financial data is it's it's all historical it's all based on the past and the analogy that i usually talk about is out of out of um, Nassim Taleb's work right the the turkey hypothesis it says you know the 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 turkey for the first 1000 days of his life thinks everything's going good in fact the happiness factor is going up he's getting fed every day everything's wonderful of course, the thousand and first day is Thanksgiving, and you know if the turkey used the past to predict how Thanksgiving Day was going to go, right? He'd have like this, you know, ninety-eight percent probability of ranking that it was going to be in this range. You know? And guess what? <laughs> Not so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does become when you start looking at data, then you're talking about extrapolation. You're not talking about creativity anymore. You're just talking about extrapolating the past. And, and then you have this theory that, you know, the past is or the future is going to equal the past plus 5% or whatever. And I think that's a very perilous theory to, to walk around with. But I think the other thing it does, Ed, focusing on numbers and analytics, not only does it bring it inward, like you said, and focus everybody inward, we all turn inside on ourselves. Even if you executed it flawlessly, it would just be institutional incrementalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you, you'd just yep. be tinkering at the edges. You, you're not really doing anything, you know, radically different. Nope. 
it, you know, and this is where I think about the the work of our brilliant colleague at Verisage, Tim Williams, and his mantra to innovate for growth, price for profit. Right, this notion that what we need to do is is centered around innovation. Right? How do we how how do we innovate? And that and that's where the MOASC comes into play because the the MOASC, you know, how much revenue, how how much value are going are we going to create? Almost is insistent upon spending a considerable amount of time thinking about creativity and innovation. Right. And, oh. and data, you know, as uh, Clayton Christensen says, is only can only confirm the past. And if we want to peer into the future, we have to either use imagination or some type of theory postulization about, you know, what if X causes Y, whatever. But uh, I think that's a really, really good, another really good point that you make in this article and then your last one is strategy is about effectiveness, not efficiency. Ah, uh, the eff- the effing debate. <laughs> the effing debate. Head. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's almost like I with it, I, I got this disease from you, Ron. I can't help it, right? I just got I gotta like get a dig in on the efficiency crowd um, whenever I possibly can. And and well, I, I think it's pretty clear. And this this is in in somewhat of an answer to our show title here. Strategy is not efficient, right? Now, strategy can be sometimes, unfortunately, about how are we going to be more efficient, right? But the actual process itself of developing strategy is anything but efficient. Yes, absolutely. Right? (laughs) In fact, if, if, if it is efficient, I'd be worried. I'd be scared. Like, oh, that was great strategy. We were very efficient in our strategy. Yep. Like having an efficient marriage, it just doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that that kind of scares me. Um, and and again, it just we always have to put this caveat in there. It's not that I'm against efficiency, right? I I'm, I like to take the least number of steps putting away the dishes in the dishwasher. It, it it's it's just not it's just not the, the, the what should not be the focus of what strategy is about, about because by definition it isn't in a, it isn't efficient. <laughs> so. And, and uh, you know, Ed, you clipped for me. Uh, I was watching a talk by Gilder. I think he was over in Israel, by the way. Um, not exactly sure where he was giving this talk, but he actually got into that whole difference between efficiency and effectiveness. And he quoted Drucker, but he said something that I thought was really profound. He, you know, he said the efficiency gains um, that companies make are, are trivial to the economy. What we're looking for is innovation, dynamism, new business models, right? New, new, mm-hmm. new things that are going to propel economic growth, not just tinkering around the edges and getting three percent more efficient. You know, we didn't get the transistor by breaking apart the vacuum tube better and 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 you know making everything efficient in its production or the buggy whip. <laughs> you know, that right. didn't lead to the automobile. It was it it was you know thinking about effectiveness, thinking about new things and. I think that's another big, big problem with um, with, with planning is is it, it just it it's not about creativity, it's about extrapolation. It's about keeping structures, kind of preserving them as they are. Right. Uh, you know, it's more about stability over adaptability or even invention. Right, preserving preserving the status quo as opposed to breaking the status quo, and and that's always been my. My flashpoint of when a business begins to die is when it loses that entrepreneurial spirit and makes the shift from how, how do we innovate better to how do we do what we do more efficiently. 
And right. it, when they make when that inflection point comes and more time is spent on the on on that efficiency piece, that's the that's the beginning of the death spiral in my view. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think either a company or an industry that is at the apogee of their efficiency <laughs> is mm-hmm. is ripe for going down. I mean, yep. you can see this throughout history, right? I mean, I, I bet you BlackBerry was at the apogee of its efficiency curve. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Motorola. Motorola, mm-hmm. they were they were the embodiment of Six Sigma. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and and, that's and now true. they're now they're what? Their patents are owned by Google. Right. Well, because I mean, you, you got to continue to innovate, and that's another thing. That innovation is clearly not efficient either. So, uh, I just want to spend one minute. We've got a, on on the the term that that you taught me as well, which is the the other f effing term, um, which is efficacious. And I think if you're going to break out the efficacious word in a business context. During during your your strategy conversations is the time to do it. I, I like to define efficaciousness as, as as reaching the maximum possible benefit, and the benefit, of course, is the benefit to who? Well, to customers. So if you're gonna if you're gonna talk that concept of efficaciousness, strategy is the time to do it. Agreed. Well, this has been great, Ed, and it's a great article. And folks, again, we will post it up on the uh, full show notes, and uh, we'll get that Gilder uh, clip as well in there, so you can see how how Gilder addresses the uh, <laughs> the effing debate. But uh, it's amazing how aligned he is with uh, with us on that, Ed. It's fantastic to see. Uh, but in the meantime, folks, I'd like to remind you: you can follow us at, at uh, on Twitter at at Ask TSOE or hashtag. Ask TSOE as well. And then you can um, please leave us uh, a review on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. And if you'd like to contact Ed or myself and give us an idea like Mark did for future shows or topics you'd like to hear us address, you can do that at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to take a break. And uh, I think you'll get to hear from our good buddy, Greg Kite. of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and one more shout out to our listener mark who suggested this topic for us today you know ron we have talked a lot about strategy and different context but i really appreciate mark's suggestion that we sh- we de- we do a show dedicate dedicated specifically to strategy because i think it it does give us the opportunity to put many of these thoughts down in one place and you have a book that you is your go-to on strategic planning and that's henry mintzberg's book the rise and fall of strategic planning curiously this guy was a former president of the strategic management society and yeah. i guess <laughs> I guess you know they he he must he must have had his card taken away from him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure if that's the same thing, but but yeah, uh, no doubt this book Ed, it's one of those books. And and look, it was written '94, so it's 22 years old. I read it in 2000, so I was a little bit late to the table. But uh, it, it's just one of those books that whacked you uh, across the head and and changed my mind literally changed my mind. I, I, I think this guy brick by brick takes down strategic planning and you know, he, he does so in, 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 and it's very difficult to do this book justice because it's 450 pages or something. And it's and like his other books, very well written, very well researched. This guy does his homework. He's one of my favorite business authors and you know, right up there with like Clayton Christensen and Gary Hamill, you know, he's in that tier. And, um, he says, look, you know, almost every decision we make is about the future, right? <laughs> I mean, if you're going to order a sandwich today for lunch, you're, you're, you're kind of doing, you're engaging in planning, right? Most of our decisions are future driven. And he said, you know, even the squirrel stores nuts for the winter. Is that because they're more sophisticated than us? Or is that because planning is even less so? <laughs> um, okay. And, and, you know, he, he does talk about the literature a lot in the book and not a lot, but, but somewhat, you know, like Michael Porter, for instance, the father of, you know, strategy, I guess you could say, looks at it as positioning, you know, where is your uh, company going to be positioned in the marketplace where say Peter Drucker uh, looked at strategy from a perspective theory, you know, in other words, what's the theory of the business, the culture, Mm -hmm. how do we do what we do, that type of thing. So there's, there's, there's conflicting uh, thought in in the literature, but the book lays out the fundamental fallacies of planning, and, and I'm going to give them to you there. The first one is something I think we can all agree on, predetermination, the idea that we can predict the future. You know, as George Gittler loves to say, the future always takes us by surprise. Creativity, right, always takes us by surprise. That's his information theory of capitalism, that it's a, that it, that it's a surprise system. Right, new innovations, new products, new services, new business models. Um, the, the fact that planning is detached, it's detachment from operations and or the managers who actually carry out day to day and have all that tacit knowledge that the planners really don't have access to, right? <laughs> As they mm-hmm. sit in their ivory tower and plan. And they said the third one is formalization. 
the idea that just because you put something down and put it on paper, he said all of these three things, predetermination, detachment, and formalization add up to the grand fallacy that analysis can produce synthesis. And he says analysis is not synthesis and strategic planning is not strategy formulation. Therefore, the very term strategic planning is an oxymoron. <laughs> and he goes on to just, you know, brick by brick, tear this down and, and, and give massive failures with it. But let me just give you one or a couple. Jack Welch came into General Electric. Now, General Electric literally wrote the book on strategic planning. Oh, yeah. The 50s, 60s, in the heyday, man, they, then they, every division did it. They, you know, everything. Jack Welch mm -hmm. came and dismantled it all. He said, because what we need around here is not more data and more planning, but more judgment. And he cratered their strategic planning group. He cratered it. Wow. And, you know, because, again, <laughs> um, you know, just looking at the data, looking at the existing structure and extrapolation, you know, this institutional incrementalism, the other point that he makes and I love this because I've seen this in so many different contexts, but, you know, the so-called whiz kids from Ford, uh, best exemplified by Robert McNamara, who was right. the Secretary of Defense under Johnson. Well, this guy had that on everything. His system was PPBS, which was Planning, Programming, Budgeting System, right? This mm -hmm. is how we right. ran the Vietnam War. Give us the body yeah. counts. We're going to, you know, and he was the ultimate planner. And it was... <laughs> one of the biggest failures of all time, the most humiliating military defeat for this country. Um, and other political scientists and others who have written about this have literally said PPBS, PPBS, sorry, has failed everywhere and at all times. So this idea that you can just sit in an ivory tower and plan and expect the peons below to carry it out, you know, and, and one thing I love that he does in the book is when they don't carry it out, the planners say, well, it's not the plan, it's the bad execution. Right, you know, right. If only you dumbbells executed better, well, here's Mintzberg's point about that. Well, if you're so smart, why didn't you take into account that we are dumbbells? <laughs> <laughs> well, well argued. Well argued. <laughs> but, but, Ron, what would you think that Mintzberg, in your reading of him, what would he say about the small entrepreneur? Because, in a sense, the small business, it, 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 you know, the peons are, are developing the strategy, and, they're, and they are also going to be the the, the, those that execute it as well. So, right, wouldn't you agree with that? Yes. Yes, I would. And I think he would too. And I think he would like that better because then at least you've got the people that have that tacit knowledge, you know, they're at the coal face, they know the customers, they know the operations at a deep level. And they're the ones that not only have to do the, the planning, but also execute it. I think he would like that better. That's what he was saying. He says, you know, the planners need to get out of the tower and, and, and climb back down into the factory floor or go out and talk to the customers or at least go out into the marketplace and see what the heck's going on. You know, McNamara had no idea, you know, as he was doing his body counts, the Viet Cong were marching down the line and <laughs> invading the South even more because he just didn't have the facts on the ground that, mm -hmm. you know, that the people had. So, um, you know, he, he's got a very dismal view of, uh, of strategic planning, and, and uh, I think he would answer our show's title 
um, you know, is it efficient or is it effective or is it neither? I think he would definitely say it is neither. Um, he also adds in, in a good chunk of the book, in the chapter in the book, he counters the argument. And, and I know you've heard this a million times. Well, Ed, Ron, any plan is better than none at all. Right. Like, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's the process that counts, right? It's, right. it's um, so, so Mintzberg said, so really it's not utopia. So planning's not utopia. It's only the road to it. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, he says it's a rain dance. He said, the problem is the, the process, the, the process of planning seems to improve the dancing, not the weather. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> and uh you know he, he he also takes on the idea because he, he he's got he's got all the excuses for why strategic planning has failed by by the you know the drivers of it the expensive consultants and the people that make a living off doing this right you should see the the uh the excuses they put forth on why this stuff fails right um and he equates it Ed, to frederick winslow taylor and the one best way the idea that here's all the intelligence, we have the grand plan, and then the plebes are going to execute it. Um, you know, he thinks that's insane. The, the real knowledge is down on the shop floor, and that needs to be tapped into as well. Um, and, and he kind of says, look, planning is defended um, not for what it's accomplished, but for what it symbolizes, which is rationality. Because it right. feels good to, to you know to do this to go through this exercise, it 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 like we say in so many other contexts, it's the illusion of control. Yeah. Whether we're talking yeah. about timesheets, whether we're talking about performance appraisals, <laughs> it's that illusion of control. And I'm telling you, he builds an incredible case for it, and that's why this book literally changed my my opinion on the on the futility of strategic planning. I mean, at a macro level, writ large, forget about a company like GE or even a small mom and pop store. Just look at the biggest central planning there is, the old Soviet Union, China, Cuba, North Korea. I mean, take your pick of communism, socialist uh, country, but it's it's a massive failure because partly because of the knowledge problem, right? The calculation problem that von Mises and Friedrich Hayek identified you know, the planners just don't know enough. And so it's it's real arrogance. So in a, in a sense, what, what makes communism fail is what makes businesses fail as well, right? I mean, in an ironic twist. Of, it it of is an the- ironic twist because he does point out as well, because I guess, again, you know, he's Canadian. So he likes to he likes to get in his shots at America when he can. But he says, look, this whole strategic plan thing grew up in America. Most of the mm-hmm. literature, most of the companies that embrace it, they're all American. And he said, you know, and here you have this capitalist country, this laissez-faire country, and yet they're embracing the, the worst aspects of, you know, communism or socialism. It's a real interesting point. Well, it is. And, and, but you know what that comes down to is, 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 the, is this, uh, the, the, the frame of reference that, that we have, which is World War II, which was extraordinarily successful due to planning. And I think that... That you know, shout out to Eisenhower and MacArthur and and all all of uh, and those guys uh, who uh, Nimitz, you know. The, who, the, but but it's only it's only sustainable as a as a war machine, right? Because yeah, people will the, make the, enormous sacrifices for war. Well, and, and I was and as as you were saying this, I was thinking. It, the, the, but war is the is the antithesis of a being about creativity. It's about destruction. Oh, absolutely. Right? 
right? So you yeah. so you can you can plan destruction. I can take out a company faster than I can create a plan that'll that'll rise it up, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. it would be easy to destroy a company. Well, uh, and you bring up Russia. You know, the other thing I th- th- I always think is funny, and I, I always bring this out when I talk to people who are so in love with Microsoft Project and 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 their pretty Gantt charts that you can produce. But Gantt Gantt was huge in the Soviet Union. They loved they loved absolutely. Mr. Gantt. And Gantt was the devotee of Taylor, wasn't he? Oh yes, yeah, no, sat yep. at the foot of Taylor, and then you know, but he's the guy who put these these Gantt charts together that you know everybody needs, and in fact, some people equate with with a uh, either a strategic plan or with a project plan. They equate it that that is the that is the plan. That Gantt chart is the plan, and it's 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 pretty scary. I will say this though, Ron, and I think this is the important part of the context here is that in small businesses, one of the and this is the last thing I usually say in my my sessions when I talk about strategy, is that uh, the exact opposite of what you brought up earlier, which was this, this something is better than nothing. I take the exact opposite tack, and that is I say if you're not going to commit to to actual execution, if if you don't think it can be executed, the best thing to do is do nothing. Just continue to just wing it. You're better. It'd be it'd be way better if you just wing it than go through this big exercise, even in a small company, right, of, of developing and executing and trying to execute this plan if, if uh, you're not going to be commit, fully committed to it. Right. And I think that's a really good point. And uh, I also think your point about posing better questions is, mm-hmm. is where this, this planning should go or needs to go. It needs to go into the question, the ideation, the creation stage. It can't be just data looking and backwards looking and quantifiable it's got to be about judgment it's got to be about creativity and imagination you know um otherwise i think it just devolves into a a, a budget on steroids yep agreed all right well ron we got one more segment to to talk about and i think we'll continue to dissect some of uh, Henry Mintzberg's book, but we want to remind you that you can get a hold of myself or Ron by sending an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. That's A S K T S O E at Verisage. And we do want to remind you that our book is available. If you go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash book, you can see a copy of that out on Amazon. Please reviews of that book and, of course, reviews of the po- podcast or the currency that we deal in. So, if you just have a moment over the course of the holidays here and you want to give a shout out to the soul of enterprise, we would much appreciate that. But right now we're going to hear from our sponsor and of course, my employer Sage. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here talking about strategic planning. Is it efficient, effective, or neither? <laughs> and I'd like to remind you, you can contact Ed or myself at AskTSOE. Uh, at Verisage.com. And Ed, just a couple more points on this Mintzberg book. Um, you know, he says the other thing about the, he does talk a lot about the quantification fetish that we seem to have with data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he yep. says, it's, you know, what they're really trying to do here is is just use goals as a means of control, right? So this is kind of what I meant by budget on steroids, right? And some of the right. planning kind of devolves into that. But the other point he likes to, because he's really picking on the strategic consultants here and the and, and people in companies that, I mean, you know, Shell Oil and things like that have entire strategic planning departments. And he's really talking a lot about that as well. Um, it's not so much the small business, but he does say that these people, you know, love to point to when there's a success. They say, see, see, we, we you know, we called that. He says, well, but the core, the the core of the causation could run the other way that, you know, rich companies can afford planners. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, As with anything in business, whenever you try to, 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 to attack, attach causality, you're usually wrong. So, right. and, and I found it really interesting too. He quotes a lot of interesting people from history. Uh, he, he just got a couple, a couple things from Emmanuel Kant in there. Uh, but uh, he he quoted Henry Kissinger, who referred to planning as a sop to administrative theory, which I, <laughs> which I thought which I thought was um, was was pretty interesting. So um, he takes pretty dim view of it, and I, I think his book is really compelling. And and uh, even if you don't agree with all of it, folks, I think it's a really good read if you're involved in any type of strategic planning, even for even for your customers. I, I think it's a good. Uh, Good book to have in your arsenal because it really does give you some some things to think about about what not to do and why strategic planning as it's mostly structured or mostly executed does, doesn't uh, work as planned. And and again, why our, our our this is really more a caveat to our listeners who most of whom are in small and medium businesses and are, and are really building their business. I, I think that there are things that you can take from the, the classic literature of strategic planning and implement them and to, 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 for the betterment of your organization. But you know, following the caveats that Ron and I have laid out today, and I, I just want to share one other insight that I had. And this, this goes back to a time when I owned my own organization 
and we were really struggling with, with, with some of this stuff. I, I was of the belief that strategic planning was this this mystical process until I, I, I finally dug, dug into it and, and found that it's really just about asking a couple questions. But one of the things that really helped us from a small business standpoint was the fact that we changed our our cadence of of looking at the at strategy from three months and doing it on a quarterly basic basis, which is the classic way that companies do this. And we we went to a trimester basis and went to every four months, mm. and it really made a big difference. I mean, you know, again, and here I am trying to trying to cite causality. I, I noticed that when we went from a 90-day cycle to a 120-day cycle, we did a lot better. Was that just coincidence? It's possible. I have to admit, it was po- is possible. But we did find that everybody in the organization said that that it w- it gave us that extra 30 days, and for whatever reason, that 120-day cycle seemed to work within the flow of our business better. Um, what we thought about going to once every six months, but we thought that was too long, so we went to four months, and I, it really it just worked. It just worked for us. I, and I guess my, my now that I think about it, my 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 warning is, don't get hung up on the quarterly piece. Maybe that's not the right cadence for your organization. Maybe that's maybe maybe it needs to be quicker. Maybe you need to look at this monthly. Uh, or maybe you maybe you need to look at it six months. Maybe it's going to be different for your organization than it was for mine. So don't get caught up in that that trap of well, plans are done quarterly, and we we've got to be there. Right, and and I would also say don't get hung up on going too long out either. You know, it's often said like the Catholic Church has a five hundred year plan, but but they're rooted in, in deep beliefs, right? And, and they change very slowly. I mean, they're kind of designed to preserve the status quo where businesses have to be incredibly nimble or and, and adaptable. And so I think planning three-year, five-year, ten-year, I mean, for certain things, yeah, I can see a big project or something like that. But, you know, who, who can predict the future? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure I'd want to be able to predict the future, even if we could. So... I just think we can go too long on this, and that's another point that Mintzberg brings out as well. Uh, clearly, and I, I think it, you know the I, I think what's important to to note is that the that plan, whether it's a two year, five year, ten year, whatever whatever period that you you talk about, that, that's that's just a guideline for you in the visioning process to to try to think about the time horizon that far out. It it's not, in my opinion, anyway, meant like some kind of a like a courageous goal or BHAG, which is the thing that Jim Collins talks about. You know that 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 that's I think superior to strategy. That's that sits that sits more part of shared vision than it does, and you know that's the thing that's not going to change. But the strategy to get there that can and should change, and it can change relatively quickly. You know, and I know I've made this point before, too, Ron, but but. Darwin Darwin is is misquoted as saying survival of the fittest. Right. Um, if if anything, he said survival of the most adaptable. Adaptable. You and, know, I mean, yeah. And that's I think is a key point. No, it is. You're exactly right. I mean, you know, Disney's values are hap- creating happiness, right? But but they can do that through great movies 
or you know they branched into amusement parks and then they branched into cruise ships and owning an island and and you know there's all sorts of different ways to to execute but it, it is all founded on your on your core beliefs i mean i guess this goes back to rabbi lapin but you know we are defined and i think a company is defined not by what we know but by what we believe and i guess that's your shared vision aspect of it correct and you know not not out to simon sinek and start with why and as with many of these things, if if you're if you're struggling with with start with why, if you're struggling with strategy, start with why, right? Um, and that and that's and that's really the 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 mantra of Howard and and I mentioned Doug Bergen is on that model of of seven S, and we will put up a picture of the model so that you can see it. When whenever you're struggling, the what what we what was constantly said in in meetings at our organization was look left on the model. If you're struggling with a system situation, go back to your people. If you're struggling with a people situation, go back to 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 your strategy. If you're struggling with strategy, go back to shared vision. Right. Look left. Well, Ed, this has been wonderful. How do you make God laugh? Tell them your plans. Yeah, <laughs> I think that kind of sums up my attitude on this. But uh, next, what do we have next week, Ed? Next week, we're going to be interviewing one of our favorite people, the Visionary of Value at Art of Value, podcaster and Verisage fellow, Kirk Bowman. Awesome. I look forward to it. Seeing you 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We will post uh, everything that we've talked about today, including the books and videos and Ed's article. And also you can contact Ed and myself at asktsoe.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. 